You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is L. David Kingsley, Chief People Officer at Illumio. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. David, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Daniel, well, I'm doing well. Hey, Stephen, how are you? Good to see you guys. Good to be with you. Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. It's a it's a great time to be in this industry as a modern people leader. It's also a very active time to be in this industry, isn't it? Definitely. We're hearing that from all of our guests recently. I can imagine. So we start every show with good news stories. We all go around, share a personal or work-related story from the past week or two. Just a way to start the show on a positive note, nice little icebreaker. And we usually like to have our guests go first. So do you have anything for uh-huh. us? I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I will. I've got, maybe I'll do one, one professional and one, one personal. So uh, the professional one, um, a colleague of mine reached out, we worked together, gosh, about 12 years ago right now. And I had a role on one of my teams. This was when I was in consulting to Phil, I was leading a, a, a function on a client site and it was a senior level role. And I decided to fill it with an earlier career professional who interviewed really well, had lots of hustle and and vigor for it, and just really hit it off well when we had a conversation. And she just knocked the cover off the ball. She just crushed it on the job and in the client site and did an amazing job uh, there. And she she pinged me, this is last week, and just said, hey, I just wanted to loop back with you. And she's now very senior in the organization, very, very senior, more senior even than I was at the time, actually. So she's she's been on the rocket ship. She reached out and she said, hey, thanks for taking a chance on me. And I replied back and I said, I, I didn't take a chance on you at all. I, I I made a calculated decision on someone I could see had a world of potential. And so that was awesome. That's probably the most rewarding times that I, uh, that I hear uh, in my career of when someone reaches out and says, you made a difference in my career and in my life. And most of the time it comes from um, investing in someone or believing in someone or giving someone the hard feedback they needed to hear, which is another way of saying I care. So that was that was really uplifting. And I, I try and make sure that I show up that way as a leader. So that was pretty cool. On the personal front, we've got we got three kids. Our oldest is named Jack and he's four years old. And uh, last night I was talking with him about the temperature. And I said, sometimes, Jack, you'll hear someone refer to the temperature as the mercury. And that's what's inside of a thermometer that rises as the heat goes up. And he looks at me and he goes, Daddy, mercury is also one of the planets. Not four wrong. years old. <laughs> I, said, I said, okay, Jack, that, that's right. And let's name some other planets. And then he, he riffed off like three or four other planets right off the bat, which it's like, it's cool as a parent, as a parent of young kids to, they learn things that you don't know they're learning. And then all of a sudden they just come out of the woodwork and what you're exposing them to and the investments you're making, uh, those pay dividends that you don't know they're paying. So I thought it was kind of a fun personal win. So. I love that. I love that. And I'll I'll go next because, you know, I am all personal today. And so I have two daughters. They're 11 and 13. And before I share my good news, I, four years old is such a great age. Like the, you know, your kids are starting to develop 
in ways that they they hadn't before and they're not self-sufficient but they're like not you don't have to fear imminent death every time they take a few mm -hmm. steps yes. so it is it's a great age but i'm at 11 and 13 and that is uh a little different, a little more challenging in different ways. <laughs> and we had cousin camp and that's like my mom's side of the family. We get all the cousins together. We've done it since COVID. We've done it all in person together and we did it over 4th of July week. It was a huge success. My oldest daughter illustrated the shirts for this year's camp. It, it just was awesome. It was a nice. lot, a lot of fun. And next up, so this is kind of a down week. Next up, we have a trip to LA. Ooh. Yeah. So we're really looking forward to uh to SoCal, Team SoCal. I love it. Come on down. It's great. The <laughs> trees are waving. The sea is looking great. We Daniel and I have a mutual friend that lives in Santa Monica and he's like always just talking about how perfect the weather is and not wrong. And so we're we're really looking forward to uh, spending some time out there next week. We'll look forward to having you. Those are some tough good news stories to follow. Uh, let's see. So I guess on the work front, we just closed our fourth deal yesterday, like sponsorship deal for the podcast, which is really yes. exciting. Um, awesome. Yeah, I mean, we we just started trying to sell sponsorships probably like early, I guess really January, right? January. The beginning of the year. Yeah. So to have four deals closed already feels like a really big accomplishment putting food in the table and allows me to keep doing the modern people leader full-time, which is what I want to do. So that's my work good news. And then on the personal front, so I was, I was sharing with Steven that I'm a bit exhausted. Like we've traveled 12 of the 28 weeks so far, oh, which is more than we've ever traveled before. And you know, it's, it's weddings, it's family trips, uh, friend trips, like every other week, it's something. And we're about to have, I think, like two or three months where we're not doing anything. So that's my, that's my personal good news. I'm looking forward yes. to not having something every other week. Like, oh, I just need to rest. Like I'm a little burnt out of, of traveling. Time to recharge is important, yeah. especially as an entrepreneur and a CEO, you're just mm -hmm. like the work clock's never off. And when you throw in all that travel, I just find like, I, I can't, I'm depleted and I need rest. Mm -hmm. I'm older though. So that could be part of it for me also. I also feel um, when, when I'm away for too long, I don't have my routine. I, I need like to be grounded, you know, like I need that routine. I need uh, the sense of like being home. Like I, I crave that. And it's funny that like, growing up, I never would have pictured myself being that type of person. But the older I get, the more I'm like, I just want to be in my routine. Like it throws me off whenever I'm taken out of it. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yep. yep. Totally agree. And I think that there's a, there's definitely a leadership connection there just in terms of how do we model the criticality of recharging the batteries? I had a, I had a team member, this is, I don't know, eight or 10 years ago. And I said to her, I don't expect you to, to be working on the weekends. Just so you know, it says Monday through Friday, like that's our professional work week. And she said, okay. And she said, when I get an email from you on Saturday, what am I supposed to do with that? And I said, well, you should just wait until Monday to get to it. And she said, well, why are you sending it on Saturday then if you don't expect me to be working on the weekend? And it just kind of hit me right in the face. And it was like, am I modeling the behavior that I expect in others? And I agree with you, like resting and recharging and finding your groove is critical for good, solid thought and leadership 
and measured decision-making in businesses. If we're all running hundred miles an hour, we're not taking stock of the landscape. We're just making a decision of what's right in our face right now versus looking around us and saying, okay, what pattern matching can I bring to bear to this decision? Or how can I use the context of my experiences to, to be a better leader in this moment? And that comes from taking time and, and having the perspective of things. So I think, uh, I think Daniel, you're onto something there. There's definitely rest is required to be a good leader. Oh, definitely. Were you going to say something, Stephen? No, no, no. I, plus one to, to everything David just shared. Yeah. So, so David, I want to, I want to quickly just go through the career journey. You've been a people leader for quite some time. You've been at several different companies. Now you're on the board of a, a few different companies. Give us, give us the full, the full story and, and how you ended up where you are today. Yeah. Wow. So I started out, I came out of college and I joined what was then Anderson Consulting, what became Accenture. So I am a recovering consultant. The first 13 years of my career were Accenture and Booz Allen. And little did I know, however, that the trajectory of my career as a leader in SaaS organizations was actually being set way back then when I accepted that job in, I guess it was 1999. It was hard to look back and be like that ah, 20 some years ago now, but I started out in the PeopleSoft practice. Um, and I was doing the learning and organization design and change management for the introduction of HR and finance systems implementations. So if you fast forward to today and we think about all these different amazing companies I've had the benefit and the, the, the grace to work for, a lot of times it's about how do we help an organization, a customer organization, go from point A to point B, solve a problem they have, whether it's a painkiller or a vitamin, um, and do that through technology. And little did I know, rewind back to 21-year-old, 22-year-old little LDK, that I was being set on that trajectory to be thinking about technology and people for the rest of my career. So I've been really blessed to be in that space and then made the, the move formally over to HR, internal HR with Salesforce uh, back now, I guess, 10 or 11 years ago. So Stephen, did you have a question or a comment there? You just raised no, I No, I just relate to your story already. I cut my teeth in the the talent mobility space. Back then okay. we called it expat, expat glo yeah. global mobility. The terminology was way different back then. And I quickly realized that I was not a great generalist. And because uh, there were some roles that were like client facing generalist type work. And I gravitated to technical implementations of mm -hmm. like the systems. And I I also had no idea what I would be, what I was really exposing myself yeah. to and how it would benefit me in my career. Mm -hmm. So like right out the gate, David, I'm already relating to your to your journey. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And and uh as you speaking of specialties, uh one of my leaders, uh shout out, his name is Brian Lapidus. He's now a CXO of global multinational companies, amazing guy. I was kind of an analyst, maybe senior analyst, and my attention to detail was not very good. And he took a PowerPoint deck, because we didn't have Google Slides back then, took a PowerPoint deck, and he made like 10 changes to it. He made 10 mistakes in the deck. It was a finished product. And he said, I've made 10 changes to this. There are mistakes in here. You go in this conference room, and you don't leave until you find them and tell me how you fixed them. And I was like, what is going on here? And he's like, your attention to detail needs work. And literally like locked me in a conference room <laughs> for an hour. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and, and to his credit, that really set the criticality for me of as a, a specialist, which we all should be in some sense, 
a specialist, that attention to detail is so critical. But that was one of those leadership moments where, again, he had to kind of put it right in my face and challenge me to grow in a way that no one had done before. But yeah, the the tug of war between generalist and specialist, Stephen, has been part of my my journey forever. And I like both. I enjoy both. Much thanks to Brian and locking me in a conference room for an hour with a PowerPoint <laughs> deck many moons ago. But yeah, I get it. Um yeah, so that was so, so made the move into HR kind of proper about 10 or 11 years ago with Salesforce and led the HR business partner team for sales, then led the HR business team, HR business partner team for technology and product. I got to serve our co-founder, Parker Harris is one of my clients. That was an amazing highlight of my career and scale that function. And then my third role in Salesforce was consolidating and, and serving and leading the HR strategy and operations function. So it's all the back office components of HR. So think about HRIS, employee relations, data science, analytics, those kind of pieces. And uh, when I did that, the team were strong team, but didn't quite have a full kind of real identity and a core central sense of itself yet. So we brought the group together and, and really built that out. And at that time, I was one of the largest implementations of Salesforce Service Cloud in the world. We were doing, we had about 35,000 internal customers and we were doing about 50,000 tickets a year um, on the tool. And so I started then going to customer meetings and they would pull me and my head of data science, Ernest, into these customer meetings and they wanted to hear it and see it. And we'd lift the hood and show them the system in, in process, the production environment. And it drove my team a little batty because they said, well, you're going live into production like, what if you click on something that no one's supposed to see? I said, I've been around systems long enough. I know where to click and where not to click. And I kind of had my little demo I would do. But what it did was really showed me the power of us drinking our own champagne. We have a dog. I don't want to eat her dog food. So I don't, I don't do dog fooding, but I do like <laughs> to drink a little champagne from time to time. And so using our own technology was super important and, and really being an advocate and an evangelist for the tech that, that your, your company puts out. That was super important to me. And that's been a hallmark in my career. Every company I've worked for, I I believe deeply in the product that we're taking to customers and it, it does transform companies, industries, and in many cases, careers. So that was part of my, my Salesforce journey, then went to be the head of people at MuleSoft. So we were just a newly public company at that time. And uh, the ink was still wet on the S1. It was brand new, brand new public company. And sure enough, Salesforce acquired us. And so the reason that I think the universe put me there was actually to, to help the integration. And so while I was at Salesforce, we acquired, call it 15 or 20 companies. Then I've now been acquired twice myself, once at MuleSoft and then once at Velocity, the company I was after that. So got to be on the other side of an acquisition. Both by Go Salesforce? Ahead, acquired by Salesforce. Yeah. Both of those. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so uh so did did those two and, and led those integrations on the people side, which was great, and hopefully was of service to all those folks. And anytime there's an acquisition, and I get asked to speak on M&A topics frequently enough because I've been on both sides, and at the end of the day, the deal thesis is going to survive and thrive when the people side works. I get the fact that companies oftentimes acquire a company for its technology, bearing in mind the technology was built by people and maintained by people and sold by people. And so making sure that the humans in that journey come along for it is really important for two reasons, A, to prove out the deal thesis and B, to respect those professionals who had made an investment of their time and energy and their career in that company that got acquired and then shifted trajectory. Most of the people who get acquired in these acquisitions, these are not retirement acquisitions for them. It's like 
maybe they get a nice little bump that they can make a couple extra mortgage payments or pay off the car or something, but they still have to work. And so it's incumbent upon us to, to make sure that those are successful. So so that was on the on that side of things. And then we relocated down to Southern California, down from SF and uh, joined Altrix. And uh, I had been a customer of Altrix at Salesforce. So amazingly powerful analytics product that can really transform companies in the way that, that they make decisions in their industries. So I joined Altrix, helped do a, a pretty significant change over there. We transitioned the entire CXO team with the exception of finance and legal. So new CEO, CRO, CPO, CCO, CIO, you name it. So it was a lot of executive recruiting uh, and onboarding and doing that as a public company. One of my old uh, <laughs> one of my old GCs used to call it making sausage on the front porch. And so we were doing some big organizational, cultural, strategic changes as a public company. And I give a lot of credit to to Mark, the CEO, and to the leaders who, who made that happen uh, in the public markets and are driving a thriving business. So that was Altrix. And then you got recruited over to Intercom by Karen Peacock, amazing CEO, to help the company go public. And she said, look, I need a public company CPO to do that. And of course, last summer, the, the market sort of shifted. So nobody was going public then. And it's starting to open up a little bit now. I think we're seeing some green shoots popping up. But uh, obviously, you know, you, you face the world as it is, not the way the, that you want it to be. And so um, uh, really looking forward to seeing what's going to come around the bend next year. And a lot of these companies that are getting ready to go out, I think there are a lot of them that are primed and ready from a financial perspective. They have the right calculus going into their rule of 40. And then there are others that think they're ready, and, and I think the markets will will give them a sense of that. Uh, and then this past spring started my my board of directors journey with a company called Navadi. It's a mental health platform. Amelia is the CEO and founder, amazing amazing leader, just a real visionary, um, and takes good, solid, meaningful, thoughtful, calculated risks as she's grown and scaled the company. And so I'm a proud board member there. And then doing board advisory work on a handful of other HR people related companies that I will plug them to become sponsors of your show. So I'm just curious. There you go. That brings us to, to present day. And then the pinnacle of my career being on the Modern People Leader podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. There we go. There we go. And so you've you've had an amazing career journey, David. I mean, there's those are a lot of great brands to have worked with. The the MA piece, there's just so much there. And we want we're gonna dig in to many aspects of your your journey and your experience throughout the conversation where yeah. I, where I want to start today is kind of inverted a little bit and we've created a new segment that we're just calling kind of state of the union for talent and it's how we've kicked off the last few conversations we've had and so I want to start actually with your your board roles because we I know that we've had a lot of guests that are on boards but we haven't really spoken to them in the show about kind of the board responsibilities they have. And so, yeah. you know, the reason we added the State of the Union segment is because it is kind of a precarious time right now. Maybe, I don't know if precarious is the right word, confusing, yeah. uh, uncertain. And it feels like in some ways things are stabilizing, but in other ways they're dark cloud, clouds may be darkening. And, and hence why we wanted to just kind of get our guests take on kind of where we're at 
And, mm-hmm. and so I, I want to do that, but I want to start by doing that through the lens of your, your board responsibilities. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious, like right now, what are board members calling or what are boards calling on their members for? What are the things that are keeping boards up at night? What is the, that, that lens as to how boards are looking at the, the state of the union for talent? Yeah, well, I appreciate that that question, Stephen, and I'll, I'll start with an analogy. I was eight years in the Navy as a reserve officer uh, here in the U.S. Uh, it was an honor to serve, and when you're out on a ship, a lot of what you're doing is paying attention to the weather, and no matter how advanced the technology gets, weather matters when you're out on the ocean and you're on the sea, and you're constantly watching the the water and the waves and the wind, and oftentimes you can see conflicting data points. And I think we kind of see that today to to extend your analogy a little bit, where you can see a wind line coming off the port side, and then you can see some calmer waters coming off the starboard. And then you've got some dark clouds over here and open skies over here, and you're trying to get over there. (laughs) And you've got to take all that into into account as you're trying to navigate the ship and and sail your course or prepare for whatever exercise you're, you're, you're getting ready to do. And that takes a lot of thoughtful contemplation back to the earlier part of our conversation around how are you taking time to recharge your batteries to make sure that you're taking your time to make measured decisions and use the historical reference points that you have from where you may have seen part of this movie before. Just because you've seen it before doesn't mean you know exactly what to do, but it does inform the decision-making that we have. From a board member perspective, I think that what we're seeing today from a, a board perspective is board members are called now more than ever to very much be on their toes as they're helping to guide these companies that we're on the boards of. And where previously in a zero interest rate environment, I called it crockpot management. Now I'm not casting aspersions on any prior board behaviors that myself or others may have exhibited, but I can say (laughs) crockpot management is set it and forget it. All right. Uh You turn it on in the morning, you come home at night, you got a nice stew that you're going to have for dinner. That's not it at all. This is a, we are actively at the stove, in the kitchen, modulating the flame, managing the ingredients, making sure that we're, we're cooking things to the right temperature and putting them on the table at the right time. Board members are called, of course, as fiduciaries of these companies to help make sure that the shareholders' interests are protected and preserved. Zero interest rate environment, it, it mattered less because money was much more accessible. And you could go back for another round and favorable term sheets, and it was all good. Board members today are, and CEOs and CXOs generally, are facing an environment where the venture capitalists for pre-public companies are saying, hey, we gave you X millions of dollars Y number of quarters ago, and don't come back to the well anytime soon. And so the CEO and the CXOs are having to say, okay, how are we making sure that we're preserving our capital to be able to run the company until either there is an exit from an IPO perspective, or if it's an acquisition move, by a strategic or a PE firm till we get to that stage of the journey. And none of those are foregone conclusions, right? No one should be just building their company to be acquired. No one should be building their company to go public. They should be building the company because they believe in what the product does and how it helps the customers. And so the boards are called on the the, the need and the demand, frankly, to be of counsel to the CEO and the CXOs and to really help them with their decision-making in the organization because boards generally are comprised of people who've seen a lot of the movie before and can be an additional reference point for the CEOs. So what I'm seeing right now is when one of the CEOs sends a question out to the board, if you haven't responded back like within 
36 hours to the email, you're going to get a ping like, hey, I need your input here. Whereas before the CEO might send it out and say, yeah, I asked a couple of the board members, one or two of them chimed in. It was mostly affirmative, confirmatory responses, and we keep moving on. What the CEOs are asking for now is this really sincere engagement um, to help wrestle with what are unforeseen circumstances that are emerging and arising every day. Back to our, our ocean analogy, Stephen, of the, those clouds come off the horizon fast and you don't see them and there you are and the decision's got to be made. And so CEOs and CXOs are really leaning on the boards and the board members who are, who are ready for that and who are there for it, I think are contributing in really meaningful ways, even more so than in what was a more calmer, I'd say a calmer environment, uh, even a year, year and a half ago. So, And so what I'm hearing is that the access to capital is tight or non-existent for, for certain segments or certain industries. And yeah, you can get a term sheet, but it may not be very favorable. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one wants to take a huge haircut yeah. at this stage in the game for, for at least some of these companies. Mm -hmm. And so in what other ways are interest rates impacting the decisions that boards and CEOs are having to make right now outside of access to capital or in addition to, to yeah. the limited access to capital? Yeah, I think that I'll speak in the space that I know directly and personally within the, the HR function, the people function. If you got 10 CFOs in a room and said, generally speaking, how much should HR cost your company on an annualized basis or from a headcount perspective? And let's just take headcount because it's easy. A year and a half, two years ago, certainly two and a half years ago in the middle of the pandemic, you'd have probably gotten a lot of answers like, you know, the HR team, including recruiters, should be anywhere on the order of five to six, maybe six and a half percent of the company. So you take a thousand person company and your HR team is 50, 60, maybe 65 people plus. What we're seeing today, and I think it'd be interesting to kind of hear CFOs takes on this, but here's what I'm deriving from the conversations I'm having is we're seeing anywhere from hundred to 200 basis points of downward pressure on that number where CFOs are looking at GNA as a percent of revenue and they're looking at their adherence to the rule of 40 and they're saying, I need the people function to be coming in much closer to, you know, call it 4% of the onboard headcount, if not less. Now, some of that is just lower recruiter numbers because we aren't, most companies aren't hiring at the same rate they were previously. But even more importantly, to answer your question more directly, Stephen, we're being asked to do more differently. And some really great companies out there, I just did a, a demo with one yesterday, an unsolicited plug called Avo, Avocado, and it's, it's AI for HR. And you deploy it inside your organization. And I was talking with the CRO and we were talking about use cases. When the compensation committee says to me, David, next company meeting, we want to see X, Y, and Z. I sometimes don't get a whole lot of heads up on that, right? I'll get that. When I send the pre-read, they come back and they've got five more slides they want. And that's next week. And so how can I leverage the power of AI now in organizations to respond to board requests and to help the CEO run the company? And I've got to do that with the same or most likely fewer resources than I had before. Um, so for example, the, the era of the large data science team um, in growing companies is probably evaporating a little bit. You may still have one data science analytics person or maybe two, but you're not going to have a team of three, four, five of those folks. Um, what, what we're being asked to do is leverage technology more to do that. And in a lot of cases, leaders and managers are self-serving. 
uh, in those areas. And fortunately, we've got some of these really cool technologies that are coming you know, onto the scene that can help us do that and accelerate while knowing that we're being asked to adhere to a different level of spend for GNA functions inside of organizations. Wow. Well, this is fascinating. So thank you for, for allowing us in to, yeah. to the conversations that you're having. And so as, as a people leader, you know, what are some of the key things that I should be doing or prioritizing to get ahead? Maybe my, my board or my CEO doesn't have this at the top of the list, right? And it hasn't hit my function yet. But what I'm hearing is if all things stay in the same, I could be under pressure to reduce my my functions costs as a percent of the total company expenses by one to two percent, which is twenty to forty percent of of my current spend. And my guess is a lot of the low hanging fruit in terms of letting recruiters or talent acquisition teams go. I'm guessing a lot of that low hanging fruit has already happened. And and I know you mentioned AI, but what are some of the things that for the people leaders out there that, you know, might not be as experienced in these matters, what should I be prioritizing? What should I be looking at right now? Yeah, I think the prioritization and and uh, and where we should be spending our time in the Navy and the military, we call it preparation of the battlefield. And in the boardroom, we would call it optionality. And staying on the optionality front, I think what CEOs and boards want to hear today are a very thoughtful assessment of where the organization is as it stands. And then I would say at least two or three, probably three different options about directions that the organization could head from a people, organization, structure, talent perspective. So let's just take span of control for an example. Spans of control two, three years ago were predicated upon this idea, which is now being debunked around, I as a leader am only valid when I have grown to the point where I have leaders working for me and those leaders have leaders working for them. And so I now have to create this kind of four-tiered structure in the organization for me to feel validated as a leader. I think what we're seeing now, and at the risk of throwing another term into the industry right now, the great flattening. And we're seeing organizations kind of go, whoop. it's like, remember a pyramid and a ziggurat? We're going from a pyramid to a ziggurat and all respect for our Mesopotamian friends. And uh, I think that organizations are thinking through that saying, do we really need to have three or four layers or levels in here for two reasons? A, cost, of course, but B, how agile can we be as a function if I now have to go through three or four layers? And the Pentagon, we refer to that as the iron majors. And the majors are kind of a mid-senior rank in the officer corps. And if you got to get through the iron majors, you may not be able to move as quickly. And so to be a nimble, agile company, you got to be mindful of how much friction are you putting in from a leadership perspective, and then how much cost are you taking on? So, so I would say that all of us in the people business need to be thinking about the optionality to say, okay, we could contract this part of the workforce over here. We could flatten that. We could rationalize this. We could peel this off and go tackle this other business challenge that we've been wanting to address. So it's not just about doing layoffs. It's about how do we reprioritize and redeploy resources and assets in the business. I forget the name of the company. One of them uh, in the pandemic, they didn't do a single layoff. They took the majority of their their people team and deployed them into other jobs in the company. So they were doing customer success. They were doing SDR, BDR work, you name it. Uh, And it was like, what an amazing concept that the CEO was able to stand up and say, you're all, you all have jobs. You just have a different job than you thought you had. 
We're going to give you some training, some challenge, and you're going to step up and deliver for the company in this new way. And uh, and what a great testament to a, to a cultural aspect and to the faith in humans to to be demonstrating neuroplasticity in their careers. So, yeah, one of the one of my favorite episodes that we've done was with Brandon Samet from uh, Zapier, and he uh-huh. walked us through their secondment program. And they did exactly that. They yeah, yeah. You know, were putting people from their talent act. I think one yeah. person on their TA team transitioned into like a data scientist. That's right. I think somebody else uh, wanted to, to go into a sales role. So they were doing more uh-huh. SDR yeah. work. And yeah. then a couple of others that kind of moved around the people team. But um, yeah, I, I feel like a lot more companies are thinking about their talent that way. And like, how can we redeploy talent versus just doing, yeah. you know, a riff? And yeah, big credit to Brandon for that. Yeah. And what we're hearing on the show supports, and this is just like top of mind bias rather than actual data from all of our our transcripts. But in the last five or six shows, we've talked a lot about how important retention is for a lot of companies right now. And when you think about, okay, there, there may be forces, maybe not maybe not driving le- further layoffs, but certainly driving a need to re-examine the organization, management structure, reporting lines, creating efficiency, more agility. And the best way, in my opinion, one of the best ways of doing that, those two things, balancing those two priorities of like, how do we make ourselves more efficient, but how do we retain our best talent yeah. is through these programs that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think so. It was David Landman from Goldman. He called it the year of year of retention. We then spoke with Andrew Bartlow, and he was like, "No, it's not the year of retention. It's the year of productivity." And I think it's kind of both. both. Yeah, yeah, both. yeah, yeah. And I think in the midst of all this, and Daniel, you and I talked about this in the in the pre call. We've gone through this journey, Stephen, that I I refer to as HR one dot oh, two dot oh, and three dot oh, and. And I'll just kind of give a brief flyover of those by way of context, and we'll end at 3.0, which I think dovetails, Daniel, with the point you just made. 1.0 was this kind of world back, call it 2013 to 2020. And we were all chasing the next hire. And the big companies in our industry, the Googles and Metas of the world, you go into their campuses and there's like nap pods and dog walkers and dry cleaners and gyms and like unlimited avocados falling from the sky and you name it. (laughs) And it's like, okay, so come here because we've got all these perks. And then we in the industry and myself included, we're referring to our companies as families. Come join the family. Now, looking back on that, we've departed from that for lots of good reasons, I think. And and we've all got family members that we wish we could terminate, but but we love them still and they're still part of our family. So calling a company a family is a bit of a misnomer. We are corporations, we are organizations, we are teams who are built to deliver shareholder or stakeholder value or both. So at any rate, so that was 1.0. 2.0 hits and that's the pandemic, right? And if you're anything like me, I thought it was gonna be like a snow day. Like everybody go home for the week, and we'll see you all back on Monday when this when this COVID-19-20 thing blows over. Okay. And then we all got to our houses. And, and Stephen, you probably remember this. It was like the CEO did the first all-hands meeting. And it was like this. Is this thing on? Is this, can everybody out there? Everybody, can everybody see me you're out there? And it's like, and he's talking over here. And you're like, get, cl- get closer to the mic. I can't, I can't hear you over here. And so it's like this, let's start running a company fully virtually. And a lot of us were used to running companies in person. 
So 2.1 was all this, like, how do we do this new thing of running a company in a fully virtual world? And people who made interesting choices for their 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 dress at home, I was like, I kind of put out something. I was like, we all need to be fully clothed when we have meetings, fully clothed, not a bathrobe, not whatever, <laughs> just like fully like shirt and pants or shorts or something. So we were all learning apparently how to do that, to work from home for the first part of it. And then, so that was 2.1. 2.2, the barriers to entry and exit in companies went to zero. Right. You could be on a staff meeting on a Monday, interview with another company on a Wednesday and resign on the Friday. And your boss goes, what happened there? Like that that person was looking they're like, well, yeah, they're hiring. And people's tenures started shortening. People were at companies six, nine, 12 months moving to next company. And nobody was saying, oh, that person's, you know, not been there long enough. No, they were like, let's just get the talent. So that was kind of two dot two was this zero entry and exit criteria for managing moving companies. Then 3.0 hits, right? So now we're in kind of this new normal or what I'm calling now normal, because who knows how long it'll be this way. But by and large, COVID has, has, has receded for much of the developed world. And we're able to travel and work freely in our offices. What this has done though, is now with the end of the zero interest rate environment and the economic headwinds, Companies are making thoughtful decisions about trimming their costs and preserving capital, keeping their powder dry for the next next tranche of, of work. And employees are going, hey, wait a second. That company is not my family. That's a corporation. And they're going to let me go if they see fit to. Hopefully, they'll be nice about it and humane about it. But I'm, I'm, um, I'm a resource. I'm an asset to the company, which can be shifted or redeployed or de-deployed, if you will. And okay, so I'm then going to rethink how I show up in the labor market. And I would offer a perspective that we're now in a world where many knowledge workers, if not all knowledge workers, are starting to self-conceive as members of the gig economy. That my brain and my knowledge are for hire. And just like our Uber drivers or our DoorDash people flip on the app and accept the jobs they want to go do and then get paid for the work they contribute, so too are knowledge workers starting to think about themselves in that way as well. That no one's got a job for life anymore. No one's working at the GE plant for 35 years and getting a pension for it. They're going to be at the company two, three, maybe four years, and they're going to move on. But we're seeing much more tenure in the one and a half to two, two and a half, three year range where people are then moving on to the next thing. That's then incumbent upon us as organizations to how do we onboard and get people to productivity faster because the nature of the employer-employee relationship has shifted. And I think that's a coming out of the COVID realizations and just the way that companies are behaving these days and rightfully so to preserve capital and make money for their shareholders. So all of that has, has now delivered us to this kind of different world than we had lived in. And it's calling on a different type and style of leadership than I think we had even even nine months ago, I would say. Yeah, no, and that, that's something we're, we're definitely hearing a lot. So one thing you said about how everyone is sort of, you know, a part of the gig economy these days. I, I think about Jessica Zwan, who we had on as a guest about a year ago-ish, and she just rejoined the podcast a couple of weeks ago. She wrote a book called People Ops as a Product, and she says that one of the products that a company is building is their employee experience. And depending on how you build that employee experience, people are either going to stay opted in or going to more quickly opt out of the experience because a lot of employees are are, are sort of used to 
almost like being subscribers to everything. So they're either going to opt in and subscribe to your employee experience, or they're quickly going to opt out because like you said, the barriers to entry and exit are so low these days, especially with so many remote opportunities. So um, so are we going to say something? No, I love that analogy. That's absolutely right. Yeah. We live in a subscription environment. I mean, all all love for our SaaS friends that I'm certainly a part of that industry. And it's, yeah, when I can flick on and flick off my subscriptions, it's what is the most recent experience I've had? And so if your manager in the last meeting uh, was kind of a troll to you and didn't see you as a human or didn't support you in what you were trying to do or didn't challenge you in the right ways because of lack of attention, lack of humanity, whatever it is. And then you get a call from some recruiter. They're like, yeah, let me, let me go talk to them. It's gone are the days of like, Oh, you know, let me just wait this out and I'll tough it out. Like, especially the generation coming in, they're not used to toughing it out. They're used to flipping to the next YouTube show when they don't like the one they're watching. And that's influencing the way that we make decisions on a corporate scale. So I totally agree with her, her thesis there. Yeah. And something else I talked about with uh, somebody on a prep call recently is how they felt that the conversation in HR has gotten a bit stale. And I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, because I feel like there was, you know, so much chatter and progress that was being made the last few years. And now it feels like we're sort of just rehashing the same things over and over again. What do you think about that? Like, do you, do you feel uh, similarly? Uh, you know, I, I, interesting. I, I always feel like there's fresh water flowing over my gills. So I, I don't, I don't feel stale in the industry. I think what I'm glad for some of this change that two years ago, we were running similar plays that we had run for the last call it five years. And I can certainly understand how that may feel stale to some folks because it was about go get as many great place to work awards as you can get your glass door score up as high as you can make sure no one's talking guff about you on blind make sure your fishbowl is clean all these different apps that we're watching and kind of running the plays offer a zillion learning and development classes that nobody shows up to but you can tick a box and say you're developing your employees it, that was getting a bit repetitive maybe and it was like okay you kept running the same plays what i think i'm excited about now uh, that that's fresh that feels fresh for me is the reinvigoration of HR truly at the table, helping to run profit-driven, profitable companies who are driving value for shareholders and stakeholders. And I think the the CPOs and, and heads of HR who are truly ready for that, who have not only organizational capability and currency, but also a new term I learned not too long ago, numeracy. So these are financially literate people who are sitting at the table and really engaging in important conversations with the CXOs and the boards, those leaders are getting to do some new things and helping to re-envision what the next generation of the company will look like. Also, it's calling on some of the, the capabilities that we have around reshaping workforces, which is no one's favorite job. At the same time, though, we in HR work for the, the CEO and the board. We, we report into the executive function of the company. That's our, that's our role. So whereas we are certainly going to be people-centered and human-focused, we are also going to be making sure the company is driving towards its outcomes and output that it's set up to do. I'm just curious, David, in the thousands or tens of thousands of seats at companies that are operating at this level, in the seats being the chief people officer or CHRO seat, how many do you believe in, like, Orders of magnitude percentage terms have the numeracy required for for the modern job, the modern people leader job of being a chief people officer. 
Yeah, I'll be provocative and I'll say zero. Woo. Um, wow, I was not expecting zero. Tell me more. And the, and the reason is anytime that any of us thinks that we are done, we have learned everything, we are we are fully baked, we are we're failing because there's always something new to add to your job jar or your your thought bucket. And that requires an orientation towards I'm never done learning. I never really know this. And I've said to my teams for years, if you ever work for a leader who goes, I got this, turn, run out of the building and call me and we will get you a different job or a different company or a different something because no leader has ever got this. Each of us should always be learning and growing and testing um, the heuristics and the shortcuts that we believe we think we know or we have be able to do that. And the world is changing so rapidly. I would say even for CFOs, right? Just because you know how to manage and maintain a balance sheet and calculate profit and loss as a CFO, that's not the job anymore. The job is to sit at the table as a CXO and help run the company as an equal with your C-suite being your first team. So gone are the days of thinking with our blinders on saying, oh, I'm the head of finance. Oh, I'm the head of HR. Oh, I'm the head of product. We are all sitting around the table as a leadership team, helping to guide the organization and doing that together for and with each other. And so 0% of us truly know exactly what we need because we got to keep learning it. I, I love that. And I, I subscri subscribe to that way of thinking um, that we should always be open to what we don't know. And the more experience I get <laughs> working in this in this this field and space that we we work in that we're so lucky to work in, the more I realize how much little I know. We've interviewed hundreds of people leaders, and you come on and you're dropping the rule of forty, all these things, and some of which I'm familiar with, and others I'm like, ooh, I should probably brush up on <laughs> on that. But I, I I totally agree, and I I we've talked a lot about how. CEOs do not have, there's no standardization around the job description for a CHRO or a chief people yeah. officer. Yeah. I'm going to expand on that. And I'm going to say that as important as it is to have a CEO that gets what is really, what the responsibilities should be of a modern people leader and having a a people leader that, that aligns with those, the 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 attributes that are required to do the job successfully, I think you also need a CFO who understands what it means to be a modern people leader as well from a financial perspective, because so long as that you you don't have that, that's going to be a missing link. You may have a a a, 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 a forward thinking CEO, you may have a modern people leader as your your chief people officer, but if that chief financial officer piece isn't aligned, then you're going to, you're going to have some issues in my mind. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think that the, I would call it, I would add another leg of the chair. So you mentioned three, I would actually say the fourth leg of the chair um, is the head of legal. So the chief legal officer or the GC. So if you are CEO, CFO, GC, and your, your CPO, um, those four individuals, the legs of that chair all have to be the same length. And we've all sat on that chair that has that one wonky leg, right? Oh, yeah, no one likes like that chair. Napkin and you're trying to jam it under it <laughs> so it doesn't go like this all the time. And, we, <laughs> and we've all been in those organizations where it's like, one of the legs of this chair is not quite on the ground or it's too long, longer than the others. And it's just wobbly. So, and it's incumbent upon the CEO, frankly, to put it there that he, she, or they are comprising and composing 
the the most optimized leadership team for what they need to do with the organization. And then once once brought together, those leaders all look at each other and say, we are a unit and whatever comes our way, we're going to work through it and we're going to collaborate. We're going to disagree and that's okay. We can disagree agreeably and we're going to keep our eyes on the prize. It's It's easy to, when you get in this industry or this job, whatever this is for 20, 30 years, you're kind of like, no, I know how to do this job. This is how I do the job. This is how I want it. No, 0% of us know exactly what the job is today. 100% of us are having to relearn every day what we should be doing by keeping our eyes open and looking at the horizon for when that wind line changes or when that cloud moves. So you're the you're the second person within the last week and a half that we've had on the show that has made the point that it should be a C-suite first team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not going to lie, the first time I heard that, uh, it honestly surprised me a bit because I started thinking back to all of uh, the bosses that I've had and how they were a part of the leadership team. And I was like, oh, I wonder if if they were, you know, like the leadership team first. And mm-hmm. that's why some of the decisions that were being made, it was like, this is what we're doing. Either get behind this or or don't, basically. But it makes so much sense. But I'm not going to lie, as somebody that's only ever been an individual contributor, it definitely caught me off guard to hear. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's Patrick Lencioni's concept of the first team. I think that's that was he was the, one of the first ones I heard to talk about that. And to go back to the the Navy analogy a bit, this is more Navy analogies ever used in any podcast. You talk about, well, I'll ask you a question first. Let me ask you a question. In in naval ships, in naval warfare, in running a Navy around the world, what is the number one threat to a ship, would you say? Oof. The number one threat to a ship would be, my guess would would be shipwreck like a catastrophic failure like okay, the like, uh, like we just like had with the submersible or yeah yeah or the okay, ground right. or mechanical failure okay all right daniel what do you think uh so i'm watching uh i know this isn't the perfect comparison but i'm watching a show called silo okay. and um it's this you know uh post apocalyptic show and these people live in like an underground uh like 80 level structure and they don't really know what's going on but basically the people the powers to be are making it to where they can control the chaos and that's by controlling the narrative in a way so when i think about you know a ship out at sea if there's like chaos among everybody that's mutiny. on the boat like a mutiny like that's sort of where my head goes interesting that's that's a that's a very thoughtful response daniel um uh sort of um the the answer is fire fire the number one to a navy ship is fire and it is a fire that has started in a mechanical room in a stockpile of weapons or gunpowder etc chemicals that interact in the wrong way and a fire starts fire is the number one threat to a navy ship and so Everyone, day one, whatever training you're going to, whether you're an officer or enlisted, you learn how to fight a fire. Full stop. That's the first thing you learn how to do. And you better do it really well, or you don't get to move on to anything else you had learned in the Navy. And so we talk about the things you need to be concerned with in the Navy when you're protecting things are ship, shipmate, and self. In that order. Our number one job, all of us, is to protect the ship. The ship gets us home. Our number two job is to protect our shipmate, our colleague, the person to our left and our right above or below us. 
And then third and last is protecting ourselves. And when everyone's focusing on making sure to protect the ship and protecting each other's shipmates, then everyone's self will be taken care of and we will mm -hmm. all get home safe. And so the idea of how are we focusing on the first team, and in the case, the ship is the company and the team who's guiding the ship is the executive staff, is the C-suite, who are making sure that ship gets into the harbor and everybody goes home safe. So if I'm focusing more on the internal comings and goings of the HR team, but I'm not paying attention to the executive staff and I'm not paying attention to the company, my HR team is not going to have a job for very long. Mm -hmm. Now, my team may feel like, David, you're abandoning us or you're not paying attention to what we need or you're not listening to us, all of which may be very well and valid and true. That may be how they're feeling in that circumstance. And I, I validate that, that feeling and that perception. At the same time, my number one job is to protect the ship because that gets us all home safe. And that takes time to learn in organizations, right? When you're first couple of years in your, in your career, it's like, why isn't David listening to me? I have this great idea. He's not a very good leader. It's like, well, he's got some other things he's working on. And at some point you have to trust that or find a different leader whom you do trust. So ship, shipmate, self, and put out the fire. I love that. And I... I have so many follow-up questions to that, but David, we've reached that time. We've got, we're actually over time and right. this has been a trend in our, our most recent episodes. There's just so much to cover that we've been going over, but we've got to, we've got a couple of traditions in the modern people leader before we wrap up. The next one's what we call rapid fire questions. We ask the same <laughs> set of questions to every guest. They morph over time as new trends are happening. Uh, and so I'm going to start with question one. How okay. do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics? The modern people leader is the leader who knows that they are never fully finished learning. Full stop. Love that. I love that. And and it it makes me happy because it aligns with, with what we've already talked about. Question two, if you could go back in time and talk to a 22-year-old you, what career advice would you give yourself and why? Um, no one, definitely to include you, David, is strong enough to do it all by yourself. You can't carry the load up the mountain all by yourself. Um, that would be number one. Number two, there is no value in trying to be the smartest guy in the room. And number three, go to bed. <laughs> As a fellow uh, Aura Ring user, I agree. Go to bed. <laughs> yeah, I I would that the the first part I would have for me I would have put it as lose the ego, Stephen. Just lose yeah, the ego. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last question: Is there anything you believe to be true about the world of work, but don't yet have the data to support? So something you believe is true. Yeah. I think, I think it is what I was talking about earlier that, that knowledge workers have entered the gig economy. And I think in the next five years, we're going to see much less tenure on average in organizations than we had seen before um, because of the way that the workforce, the generation of the workforce who are now the largest part of the workforce, see the world and have customer expectations. So too, they have employee expectations. Um, and then it's going to be incumbent upon us as organizational leaders to respond to that and to deliver organizations that can attract and retain and engage them, especially on shorter tenures than we've had before. So 
Love that. And if Steve Cadigan, if you're listening to this show, I hope you're smiling. He's the former chief human resources officer at LinkedIn, and he came on and dropped this bomb when he released his book, Workquake. And we've heard it so much over the last couple of years since he joined us. So hopefully he's got a, uh, a smile on his face. Okay. I got to pick that book up then. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. All right. So last question for you, who should we bring onto the show next? Are there like one or two people that you think we absolutely need to talk to? Um, you know, one of the, the, the one that I'd recommend is, uh, if you haven't had him already, his name is Dave Carhart. And so he's, he's the, the head of the people strategy group at Lattice. And he and I worked together at MuleSoft. He was one of the most thoughtful compensation and HR business partner people I'd worked with in my career, just super on the ball, like a real tech technical tactician knows his stuff, attention to detail. He then later became the head of HR at Lattice and now has moved into um, a role where he's really leading up the customer success division. So he's a practitioner who knows what he's talking about, who sat in the chair and who now helps companies be successful on one of the most prominent you know, tools that a lot of HR organizations use. And so he has a, a lot of point of view on the state of feedback and organizational evolution today. Um, that could be really interesting. And he's just, he's just a good dude. So yeah, I recommend him. Definitely going to reach out to him. All right. So last tradition of the show, one word or phrase close. So we all respond with a word or phrase from the episode that we want to close with. And it could be anything that comes to mind for you. One word or phrase. Yeah. Breathe. Mm. Mm. It's a good one. I'm going to come in, come in next because Daniel saw me write mine down. Mine's recharge. Recharge. Okay. I like it. Protect the ship. There you Protect go. Protect the ship. Oh, see, you, come on now. You had three words. Okay. <laughs> phrase. Right. That's right. Technically, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's no, protect lot. the ship is great. And that's, we've, we've all got to do that. And sometimes the ship is ourselves and our family, uh, the people we love and care about. There's a lot of people in this world right now who need our attention, our love, our care, a lot of hurt out there. And so, for all of your listeners, thank you to everybody who who does this for a living to help people get where they're trying to go in their life and their journey. Um, that is the most important calling that any of us can have. So thank you all for hosting me. Thanks for doing what you do to help the conversation going and make our world a better place. Thank you for coming on the show, being candid, being vulnerable, being transparent. Without you, we can't have, we can't live the dream and have these conversations every week. So thanks so much. It's been a great conversation. My pleasure. Bye. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of the Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.